when we justify ourselves, we're doing that because we expect or are worried that we're going to be judged. That exposes a theological problem that we have, right? It's an issue of belief. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Greetings and welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which both critically and charitably examines the texts of songs that are sung by Christians in the church. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist. I'm an analyst. And I'm joined by my friend, Colin. My name's Colin. I've been posing as a history professor, but I'm really an AI chatbot. Well, you're certainly a poser. (laughs) And this series, we've been going through songs which we consider excellent. So today, Colin has brought a song which he considers excellent called All Sufficient Merit. And so our hope is that it will at least be Sufficient for our criteria, since sufficiency is in the title. Uh, This is by Shane and Shane. Colin, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to the song itself? What is this song about? So I was drawn to the song purely by the title. It's not a song that I had ever led in worship when I was leading worship. In fact, I'm pretty sure it came out after I was done with my worship leading days. But it drew me to it through its title, which references a a hymn, like a Christmas hymn that I quite like. Or, or an Advent hymn, really, called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is by Wesley. So verse 2 of that hymn goes, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born a, to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. I always liked that line. And so I thought, oh, this could be a good song. Let's take a look. And then I went through the lyrics and I was like, yeah, this is a really good song. So it's a song that is kind of expounding upon that Wesleyan phrase, which it's not a phrase that's found directly in the Bible, but it's this concept that what Christ has done is perfect and complete, satisfies the penalty that we owed, satisfies our debt, and that our righteousness simply does not compare. The song really sets up as a problem the idea of kind of false righteousness or what some would call works righteousness, and it just lays out over and over and over again in the verses and then in the chorus that actually it's the work of Christ that is sufficient to merit our salvation. Like we, it's, it's got the great exchange in there that we receive Christ's righteousness for our sin. So it's just a, it's just like a, a heavy hitting song about the merit that Christ has won for us on the cross. Beautiful. Let's get into the lyrics. Mary, shining like the sun. 
A fortune I inherit By no work I have done My righteousness I forfeit At my Savior's cross We're all sufficient All-sufficient merit, shining like the sun, a fortune I inherit, by no work I have done, my righteousness I forfeit at my Savior's cross, where all-sufficient merit did what I could not. So I don't want to pretend that everything about the song is completely clear to me, and that is the case with this very first line. I think the idea is just to say that our merit is or excuse me, that, that Christ's work is is glorious, maybe. It's bright. But I, I wasn't sure if there's some biblical reference that I'm just not aware of, that, you know, this idea of shining like the sun. Like, is this just slightly flowery language, or is this does this have a biblical basis? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, there is the idea in Revelation 1.16 where Christ shows up on the scene in, in the beginning of that book, and it says that in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. But that's the face of Christ, not you know, his works. So, you know, I don't know if this is kind of mushing that idea. I I just don't know. Do you have any ideas, Tyler? Yeah, I think this is possibly a reference to Psalm 37. This is where my mind went when I saw these words. Uh, So verses five and six, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness like the dawn, your justice like the noonday sun. And so I think we have the righteousness here shining forth like the sun, like the noonday sun. Okay. And what's amazing here in this text, as well as um, theologically, is that this merit, this righteousness that we have is actually not our own works, right, as we see later on. So I needed to know my psalms a bit better. Well done, Tyler. (laughs) And, you know, just the rest of the, you know, the rest of the verse is great. There's this idea of an inherited fortune uh, that we receive through our sonship, this is a biblical concept. You could point to numerous verses. You know, one obvious one is Ephesians 1.11. In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that's this idea of a fortune I inherit by no work I have done. And, um, you know, the we can we, this this person is talk continues to talk about their righteousness so my righteousness this person is still working but it's not uh it does not stand up to the work that Christ does on the cross in fact it's forfeit compared to what Christ has done and his all sufficient merit did what the worshipper couldn't so i just think it's a great song great way to start the song this idea that even our, our, whatever righteousness we bring, it just doesn't matter compared to what Christ has done. And that is how we are approaching God is through the righteousness that Christ uh, won for us by his obedience to God. And then, of course, uh, the merit that we receive uh, at the cross. Yeah, the verbs here are really, really strong. I mean, you don't see a verb like forfeit or even inherit yep. used that often in worship music. In love. Turn. 
in love, he condescended eternal, now in time. A life without a blemish the Maker made to die. The law could never save us, our lawlessness had won, until the pure and spotless Lamb had finally come. Again, I'm not entirely sure how these this first line just goes together. It doesn't. It's, there's nothing wrong with it, but it just seems like two concepts that are mushed without a comma or without a semicolon or... Like, in love, he condescended eternal now in time. I just... It's kind of a word salad to me. I don't know. Again, Tyler, you're a linguist. Maybe I'm missing something obvious here. Yeah, I think that was a little bit of my fault for reading it as if it were one. Well, you know, you read it the way that it's written. It is written that way. It's written without any kind of comma or separation. But let's imagine that it does have a comma or a semicolon or something. What? I would read this as parentheticals, as as little parentheticals elaborating on Christ. So in love, he. And then we could almost imagine, comma, eternal, comma, now in time, comma, a life without blemish, comma, condescended, semicolon, okay. the maker made to die. <laughs> like, I think what's going on is okay. he is eternal, and yet he now inhabits time. He was a light and is a life without a blemish. He's okay. a spotless lamb. He is the maker, somewhat ironically here, made, using the same word, to die. Um, he okay, so condescended. That's good. Okay, so this is like a Latin sentence where <laughs> you've got all, <laughs> all of these like clauses uh, that are kind of resting on a verb that's mentioned one time, and you just you, you kind of have to. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So yeah, and again, none of that word salad or whatever you want to call it, like syntax leads to a huge problem. I did just find it a little bit. Like drawing all the connections between them was a little bit weird. But when you phrase it like that, I think it makes sense. And the other thing that makes sense about this set of lines is the theme of the spotless lamb. So you've got the spotless lamb at the end. And then I like in the second line of this stanza or this verse, the the invocation of the word blemish. Because you're already, that word is foreshadowing the idea of the spotless lamb. And so, which then comes to completion. So I think that's really nice. And then I like the third line, the law could never save us. Our lawlessness had one. Romans 2, 23 said, says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And I think this line plays on that, that if we try to earn salvation by the law, are, we are going to still be lawlessness, lawless, and that is going to win. Because by the law, we need to be perfect. We need to be all-sufficient, um, and we are not. And so our lawlessness is going to win every time, even if we uh, obey the law 99.9% .9 of the time, which, of course, nobody would do. Nobody could even get to that. Um, but say we could even get that close. It's not going to merit our salvation, only an all-sufficient merit could, which is what we see in Christ. So I think there's a lot packed in here that is is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I like the third line quite a bit as well. The law could never save us. Our lawlessness had won. There's some really good wordplay here going on, and it's also biblical, this idea. I thought of Galatians 2.16, by works of the law shall no man be saved. That is to say, the law could never save us, e even if, like you were saying, we could uh, strive 
and approach a perfection asymptotically or something like that, we would never actually um, be saved. And of course we can't. Tyler, you're using big words again. You need to explain those for <laughs> our audience. Well, and I was thinking like in, in calculus and in advanced algebra, an asymptote is this um, number point on an axis that a curve approaches but never reaches so it gets closer and closer and closer and closer like you could think of y equals one over x well except for zero as the bigger x gets y becomes one over that bigger and bigger number so it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller the asymptote it's approaching zero but it never actually touches zero in any real number in any finite number but you can speak of the limit as it approaches infinity and say as it approaches infinity you know the limit is zero so that's what i mean when i say even if we could asymptotically approach righteousness like while still being sinners we could get to 99.9 percent or then you know 99.99 percent or 99.999 percent we're still uh sinful and even just a little bit of sin would make us completely worthy of condemnation before God, which we are without Christ. Okay. That that last part was good. Uh, the first two-thirds of that, I was thinking, boy, am I sorry I asked that question. All right. <laughs> but that, that's good. Okay. That last part was good. You you redeemed yourself. When you were talking about X and Y and <laughs> minus and print, you know, that this was, it was too much for me. It is done. It is finished. No more debt I owe. Paid in full, all sufficient merit now my own. Well, these are Christ's own words. And, you know, I think most of our listeners certainly know that, right? Christ says it is finished. And then we also have words that Paul writes in, well, similar, you know, words that are similar to what Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians. This is verse excuse me, chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by, and this is the similarity here, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So we get the law there. He has, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I mean, this is exactly what the chorus is communicating, that the work of Christ is finished, it cancels our debt, pays our debt in full, and it is sufficient. And uh, they add this idea of all sufficient merit is now my own. So it's ours. We receive the perfect record of righteousness of Christ. And again... This is just hammered away over and over in the song. I like that this is included in the chorus because the phrase all sufficient merit, I mean, even for people who know the Wesleyan hymn, it is still kind of a mouthful, all sufficient merit. Like this is not a word that you would just hear all the time in a sermon or in a bunch of other songs. Like it is kind of a, a an odd phrase. And so it's nice that the chorus 
kind of defines and explains that what that means over and over and over again. So each, you know, constantly throughout the song, the chorus is kind of reminding the singer, the congregation, what the whole point of, like, this isn't just a cute phrase that they sprinkle in there from, you know, as a, like an anachronism. Like we see this all the time with contemporary worship music where they will draw on almost like the brand, like they will draw on some catchphrase, like, you know, in amazing grace or something, the number 10,000 or, you know, some other common trope or, or theme or something, but then not define it. It's all, all it's being used as is, as a catchy line. Whereas this song is taking something that Wesley said and didn't really dwell on a bunch and come thou long expected Jesus. And they're actually defining what it means and saying it over and over. I quite like that. Another thing I like about this is this song has multiple different complementary images of what justification looks like for us. So here we have language of debt. It makes you think of finance or something like that paid in full. We can think of our record being paid in full. Um, But earlier we saw this spotless lamb being without blemish. So we have this other image of perfection, of um, of being spotless. Um, and then at the very beginning, we saw this, this concept of merit, which we've seen now multiple times in the song. Um, merit is an interesting word to use because it, it refers to something that is deserved or... Mm-hmm something that someone in theory has earned and therefore deserves. Like you can get a merit badge in Boy Scouts for exemplary service or something like that. And so uh, we have multiple different images of what this justification looks like. And what this song does such a great job of emphasizing is that this merit is freely given to us by the grace of God uh, with none of our effort contributing to that merit itself. So, I like that. I lay down my garments, any empty boasts, good works, all corrupted by the sinful host. I'm dressed in my Lord Jesus, a crimson robe made white, no more fear of judgment. His righteousness is mine. Okay, so we're three for three in my view on opening lines that just, again, don't, I just, I don't fully get it. I lay down my garments, any empty boast. Is this saying that the garment is a euphemism or like a metaphor for some kind of pride and righteousness or some kind of vain deeds? I looked through scripture, maybe not sufficiently, and maybe Tyler, you will again pull out 
what the reference is that I'm missing. I know that we have obviously the idea of our righteousness being like filthy rags. That's not a garment. Those rags have a very specific meaning. Those aren't clothing, for example. So I'm just, uh, I'm trying to think of what is, I don't know, I'm just, I'm trying to understand a little bit as to what, why I lay down my garments. I mean, I know that later on in the stanza, we have the idea of being given a, a, a white, you know, clothed in righteousness, that we have this idea, clo- clothed in white. You know, this comes out of Isaiah 118. So maybe this is, maybe the garments, maybe maybe Shane and Shane are just carrying through the the metaphor here and, and just, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's my problem that I'm just being too, I don't know, literal is not the right word, but I'm just not, not allowing, not having enough imagination about the metaphor. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like what they're emphasizing here is that we are dressed. It's not only that we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ, but that we are also like the counterfactuals there too. We are not dressed in our own righteousness. And so like this laying down of the garments, uh, and I think comma is also, I am also laying down any empty boasts. Okay. Like any, anything that I could ever boast of it. I think it's like the elders in revelation throwing down their crowns at the feet of Jesus. It's like, I have like whatever I might have to boast in that Paul says this too. Like I count it all as nothing here. So I think that's probably what's going on. But like you, I struggle to find an example of garments being laid down specifically. Yeah, and it's not like every metaphor that every song uses has to be in the scriptures. That's not what we're saying. It's just, uh, I don't know, like if you have a metaphor, you just kind of want to explain it a bit. And again, maybe, maybe the explanation is in line three, dressed in my Lord Jesus comma. uh, There's not a comma there, but presumably there is. A crimson robe made white, because Jesus is not a crimson robe. So, this is just, or a semicolon, really, that that there was a crimson robe, and then it was made white. Which, again, that that is directly out of Isaiah 118, that line, right? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson... There we go. We got crimson right there. They shall become like wool, which again would be white. So I, I'm guessing that the I lay down my garments is just referencing that. Mm-hmm. Again, I, again, I, there's probably listeners that are just banging their heads in the wall. Like, okay, this, you know, this guy is just being <laughs> obtuse. Like, of course that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right to point to Isaiah. And I think there are a few places in Isaiah that could inform our understanding of this. So, for example, Isaiah 61, verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. So, I think this is what where they're getting this image from here. And also, like you said, doubling it with this crimson being white as snow or cleansed. Yeah. And I like the final line, no more fear of judgment. His righteousness is mine. So again, they don't just, they don't stop with the metaphor. They explain what the metaphor, even though it's a metaphor in scripture, they explain what it means that um, we have been given righteousness. We have been, 
and so they just it's nice but it's also a big statement there right it's true no more fear of judgment but that's actually harder to live out in my experience than it is to <laughs> oh, put yeah. on a page like it's very easy to fall back into wanting to justify yourself wanting to have something to show for yourself um and fearing god's judgment when you sin and so for it to say no more fear judgment is it's kind of like it's speaking a truth that you're striving toward yeah if that makes sense more than one that you've necessarily fully grasped no i I know some people have but well i don't i don't know that everybody really that everybody you know people that have been perfected understand that but i think that's something everybody struggles with and it's hard to actually you've you've brought up something quite profound, which is when we are feeling the need to justify ourselves. there's actually a theological problem there. Like we're, we're, we are doubting the sufficiency of Christ and we are forgetting that we do not fear judgment. Cause when we justify ourselves, we're doing that because we expect or are worried that we're going to be judged, that exposes a theological problem that we have, right? It's an issue of belief. And, you know, it all goes back to that in many ways. Definitely. All right, we have one more verse. All sufficient merit, firm in life and death. The joy of my salvation shall be my final breath. And when I stand accepted before the throne of God, I'll gaze upon my Jesus and thank him for the cross. Yes, I'll thank you for the cross. <laughs> Don't forget that, that extra line. I mean, I won't say much about this, that, that you know, there's, I like this because it reminds me of old hymns. When you read old hymns, often the last stanza is about looking towards death and what's going to happen after death. And this song calls upon that same structure. So we have the idea that even when the person dies, you know, their last thing that they breathe will be a sense of joy about what's going to happen to them. And then they will go to the throne of God. They will see Jesus face to face. They will thank Christ for the cross. I like that too, because, you know, some songs might talk about heaven, for example, but it's just kind of uh, left open-ended as to what that's going to be, or maybe in worse, in a worse situation, like something unbiblical maybe is put in there, like, you know, it's it's just going to be me and Jesus hanging out, you know, or something like that. It's like, this is, I think, a, a more accurate version of what is going to happen in heaven, which is praise. We are going to, it's all about, it's going to be all about God in heaven, it's going to be us thanking him, praising him, worshiping him together, uh, his church, his redeemed people, uh, where we should have been in the first place back when he made creation. It's going to be a group of people and uh, singing to him and, and praising him. So 
this song kind of ba- kind of nails that I think with this last stanza. Mm. Yeah, this is a beautiful stanza. I'm noticing now as I look at the lyrics, the it it takes us a step further whereas before we were talking about being paid in full which you could think of as your balance being brought from being in the red to being zero it actually says when i stand accept it and so there's the theoretically possible universe where your debt is canceled but you're still rejected in a if that makes sense i know you're what still, you mean it doesn't really exist but but it but i'm just, it, saying, just logically logically yeah sure i'm speaking hypothetically here we could have our debt canceled and still be rejected, like hypothetically spared from some suffering or something um, and just annihilated. But here it's like, nope, I am not only, not only is my debt paid in full, I am now accepted by God. And it's a powerful statement. And it's made clear here that it all rests upon Christ because he's the one we're thanking. And there's even a pivot to the second person with the verbal structure, yep. I'll thank you for the cross. Um, so I like it. What do you think firm in life and death means? Do you think that means I'll be firm in life and death? Or do you think this merit is firm in life and in death? I think it's the latter. I think it's saying that the merit that we receive in Christ, whatever doubts we have, whatever concerns we have in this life, that merit overcomes those and then when we die, that merit obviously delivers us into the throne room of God. So it, it the merit itself, because obviously the, the, our salvation is not just meant to be an insurance policy for when we die. It is meant to make our joy, it is made to give us also a joyful life despite circumstances or, you know, struggles and sin and everything else. The work of Christ is a comfort to us now that we get to enjoy now. And so I think that all sufficient merit, firm in life and death, is is referencing that idea. All right, Colin, do you have any concluding thoughts? I will just say, you know, I brought the song, and I'll say after going through it with you uh, with an open mind, as I do all the songs that, you know, that I brought with some preconceived ideas, I, I feel pretty good about still thinking this as an excellent song. I think it makes strong clear declarations that are theologically accurate, that are biblical. Its language is mostly clear, and I think in areas where it's not clear, it could be that it's the song. It could also be that just some of the audience are are goofballs like me and maybe wouldn't quite get a couple of those opening lines. I don't think that in any way just, you know, is a meaningful blemish on the song, though. This, this song really is a strong, good song for corporate worship and churches that that use contemporary worship music all right what did you give it Uh, so i gave this song five out of five rec leaguers and that is because i had never seen shane and shane before and based on what i heard i thought well these are a couple young sounding dudes that probably you know super skinny and look like you know all these tip and the song is so typically millennial worship it's unbelievable like it's so typical in the way that it sounds and its production and everything. Can you elaborate there for a second well, <laughs> for our listeners who don't know what millennial worship is? Well, it's, it's got that, um, that inauthentic authenticity. It's like, it's like the, <laughs> it's like the totally inoffensive soft rock, uh, you know, booming chorus, uh, you know, 
two verses, then the chorus, louder verse, then the chorus, quiet verse. It just kind of has that aesthetic in the way that it sounds. Okay. And then you look at these dudes <laughs> and um, they look like guys that could be on my rec softball team. Like it's just, they're, they're like, it's like guys that look like they're in their forties with like baseball hat and, you know, kind of a beard and they're, this is not in any way meant to denigrate them. And I don't think they would mind me saying this, but they're not dudes that could wear skinny jeans and tight clothes. They're slightly bigger dudes because they're older, you know, like one of the dudes has clearly got gray, some gray hairs. And again, they, and they don't have like cool looking haircuts with a, what do they call it? A, a quiff? A, a, what's what's that thing? Yeah. Did you have Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. You got one. Um, so, you know. Colin, are you saying you feel represented? I do. <laughs> I do. I do. I see myself in the in these men, and I think, yeah, I could do it. Because I've just been waiting, right? I've been unrepresented. And now this they've diversified the worship bands such that now I never believed I could be a worship leader. And now that I see it, I know I can be anything I want as a, as a 40-something-year-old man. It would have been better if one of them would have had no hair. Maybe the guy with the hat doesn't have hair. And if he takes off his hat, he's bald. I think I want to get you one of those fake visors that has the spiky hair on top. You know oh, what I'm dude, talking about? Uh, no, I didn't know those existed. It's probably it's, good I didn't. It, I probably would have worn one for the last 20 years without taking it off. It's a visor, but then it has <laughs> basically a fake scalp on top with a kind of frosted tips style haircut. Oh, my God goodness that's I'm get so you that funny you need to get me one of those yeah yeah <laughs> and since i'm old i'll forget that you said this so i'll genuinely be surprised when you get it for me sounds good what did you give this for a rating i'm gonna give it five out of five incoherent fragments and i don't mean that in a bad way about the song it's just the verses or not even the verses but the parts of the song that are repeated like merit now my own um if heard in isolation would be so unintelligible that people might not even know you were speaking English. Like it just bear with me, Colin. If if you just came into a room and someone was like, Merit now my own, you would not even necessarily know that they were speaking English. There's no verb there. Well, yeah. That, and that's the other thing, by the way, that makes it millennial, uh, which I forgot to mention, is the verb use or not verb use, right? The, the sentence, these are constructed as kind of fragments. Like, they're, they're, these are all a bunch of incomplete fragments, almost. It's taking nonverbal communication to the next level. <laughs> that was actually pretty clever. <laughs> so, anyway. But, but I like that you give it a five anyway, because, again, this... We are not persnick like just because we're interested in language, like we're not going to hold that alone against a song. You know what I'm saying? Like the content of this song is very, very, very good. Yeah, because it's not if, if that just appeared in isolation, like I, I'm saying, hypothetically, if you were to hear it in isolation, you wouldn't know what's going on. But in context, it's very clear that that's the second part of all sufficient merit. Now, my own. It's 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 a thought. Yeah. So, well, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We have enjoyed, we always enjoy these podcasts. We hope that you enjoy them as well and that you would even consider contributing to our meager efforts here on the Worship Review. Tell your friends about us. Tell your pastor. Tell your mom and dad <laughs> and the guy across the street. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. 
You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.